Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Our final message today in this subject of how do we battle with fear. And today we're addressing the issue of what should I think? What should I think? A few months ago I went to bed at a fairly decent time, but I couldn't sleep. My mind was racing, my heart rate was elevated, and I just simply couldn't relax. I was tired, I was actually exhausted, but my physical condition was eclipsed by the worry and the fear that I was experiencing. I couldn't sleep, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, because I was battling anxiety. But it wasn't just that I was battling anxiety, there was more. I've shared previously that anxiety can be a gateway issue that opens the door to other sins. And my fear opened the door to frustration, feeling, why am I worried about this? And despair, this is too much, I can't handle this. And so there I was at midnight with a full day ahead of me, struggling with the darkness of fear. I was there again. Maybe you know what it's like to be there. The reason I'm telling you that is not because of what I did next to deal with my fear. That certainly was part of the solution, and we've talked about that. But the reason that I'm telling you that story is not because of what I did with my fear, but because of what created my fear. You see, a few hours earlier when I crawled into bed, I did something that I know is a bad idea. I grabbed my phone, and after setting my alarm, I checked my email one more time. Something that I was curious about, wondering where things were on a particular issue, I checked my email, and that's what did it. One email, and suddenly my heart is cascading down the fear and anxiety pathway. I I know that I'm not supposed to do it, I know that it's not helpful, but the uncertainty of what was kind of in the air and the fear that I was feeling actually pulled me to grab my phone and check, and maybe you know exactly what that's like. Maybe you have a habit of scrolling through social media or reading the news or checking the futures on the stock market before you go to bed, and what's crazy is how one post, one email, or one article can send us spiraling down into anxiety. So, when I trace back my anxieties and my fears, church, there's a direct relationship between my thinking and what I'm afraid of. Now, to be clear, I'm not always sure which comes first. I don't know if my thinking leads to my fears or if my fears lead to my thinking. Sometimes I wake up and I'm fearful or I have anxiety and I I don't know what I'm fearful or anxious about, so I start thinking about that. So sometimes my fears create thinking, but a lot of times my thinking creates my fears. They are connected. And here's the thing that we're going to talk about today. In order to win the battle with worry, we need to think about our thinking. Today, we're concluding this sermon series after looking at four previous questions. Who's in control? What is fear? What must I believe? How do I pray? And what should I think? Now, after we're done with this series, we're going to 
start a new one next week. And if you're wondering where we're going to be going, here's a quick highlight. In the months of June and July, we're going to be studying the book of Proverbs, learning what it means to find wisdom. The title of that series is Foolproof, a nine-week series looking at different subjects in the context of a really, really important and helpful book, a book that helps us to know how do we take biblical wisdom our biblical content, and apply it to our life such that it results in biblical wisdom. So maybe you joined us just for the series on fear. Friend, I hope you'll continue to walk with us as we journey through the book of Proverbs. What does it mean to think about our thinking? And how does the Bible call us to address this particular reality? Groves and Smith in their book that I mentioned before, a really helpful book, Untangling Emotions, say this. We have to do the work of listening carefully to the messages of our emotions, discerning which parts of the messages are true or false, and responding wisely. This is especially difficult when our emotions are running high. Wisdom requires us to think clearly at the very moment our thinking is being powerfully shaped by those very emotions. So true. When we're fearful or when we're struggling with anxiety, there are thoughts, there's thinking patterns that are underneath. And it's tempting to not think about our thinking. Let me show you three ways that right thinking can help lead you in your battle with worry and fear. So three ways that right thinking can be helpful and how it's helpful. Number one, in our text we see that rejoicing leads to reasonableness. So look at Philippians chapter four and verse four. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You need to know that the book of Philippians was written by Paul when he was under house arrest, likely in Rome. He writes to the church in the city of Philippi, and his predominant theme throughout this entire book is the theme of joy. He wants to encourage this church to press on and to endure in the midst of hardship and difficulty. And there were many challenges that they were facing. A few examples. In chapter 1 and verse 28, Paul tells them that they are experiencing suffering by opponents who have become frightening. We don't know all the dynamics that are involved, but somehow there was opposition that was scary. In, in chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul tells us that they are living in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation. They're experiencing the brokenness of the world. Chapter 3 and verse 2, they were dealing with false teachers that Paul calls dogs who were threatening the church. And then in chapter 4 and verse 2, there's even personal disagreements that are creating division in the body. So all of these things are combining in order to put an enormous amount of pressure on these people. And so Paul writes to them in the midst of overwhelming realities and I'm sure in the midst of feelings of fear and anxiety and worry and frustration, in the midst of that kind of environment, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Now, it's important for you to know 
Because I know that probably some of you, when you hear that, there's a little bit of an internal eye roll. Like, is Paul just saying, be happy in the midst of hardship? Is this just some sort of, sort of Pollyanna, delusional mentality? And the answer is no. What Paul is doing, rather, is he is pointing Christians to where they can find true joy. Friend, you're going to need this this week. Christian, you're going to need to understand where do you go when the news around you is so discouraging, when conversations that happen near you are just really complicated, and do you find that your soul feels weary? The question is, what do you do, or better, where do you go when that is the condition of your life? When brokenness is all around you, where does true hope reside? You see, what Paul is saying here is not just to rejoice. He's saying, this is really important, rejoice in the Lord always. If you look back to chapter 3 and verse 18, you'll see the connection. Paul says, for many of whom I have told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So do you see what he does? He commands hurting and fearful Christians to rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean? It means that you think about who Jesus is. It means you think about the reality of what he has done for you. It means that when life feels overwhelming, remember, Christian, Jesus has won the victory. When the world shows us its brokenness in full display. Remember that Jesus one day is going to come and make it right. When people treat you unfairly or unjustly, remember that Jesus is the ultimate just judge and one day he will level the scales and reward those who faithfully followed him. When you are weary and discouraged, remember that Jesus is the man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief, and so you can come to him with your weariness. You can rejoice in the Lord. There's an old song that has gripped me recently. I've sung it in the context of my home many times throughout the course of this epidemic and and all of the other challenges because my, my soul feels weary. Hear the words. Dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. To thee I tell each rising grief, for thou alone can heal. Thy word can bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. That's what Paul means. 
It means that we rejoice in the Lord. Rather than looking at circumstances, rather than looking to the future, Paul describes an anchor that Christians are to have because they know who Christ is and to rejoice in him. But there's more. This rejoicing leads to reasonableness. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, this is a command, but because it follows this other command about rejoicing in the Lord, it would seem as though they are connected. What does it mean to be reasonable? The word in the original language means charitable, it means merciful, it means gracious. Why would Paul link these two together? Well, just think of the last time that you were fearful. Think of the last time that you were anxious. Think of the last time that you had a conversation with somebody in the midst of that fear and anxiety. And maybe that fear was deeply personal and related to something to the past. When those things happen, it is very easy to say and do things and act as if we don't believe that God is sovereign. To act as though we think God has forgotten about me and he doesn't care. Reasonableness, when you understand who Jesus is, flows from what it means to rejoice in the Lord. When your focus is on Christ, it allows, us, it allows you to embrace the mind and heart of Jesus. Kind of otherworldly mindset. It's the kind of thing that we hear in 1 Peter chapter 2. When he says this, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So can I just ask you, are you a reasonable person? Or has fear and anxiety created an unreasonableness related to you? Are you the kind of person that because of your theology and what you believe to be true, that you approach the battle with fear and anxiety differently than people around you who don't even believe that God is real. I want to be clear. This doesn't mean that we're not concerned about justice. Or that reasonableness means that Christians don't express their sorrow. What it means is that our sorrow and our concern for justice are driven by righteousness, driven by who God is, not driven by sinful fear or sinful worry. It means that we remember the Lord is at hand, which means he's coming again. He's going to return. And thinking this way changes our approach to the some kinds of fear that we deal with. That rejoicing in the Lord leads to reasonableness. Can I just ask you to ask your own soul where you are on the reasonableness scale and does that relate at all to the focal point of what you're rejoicing in or hoping in. You see, thinking about our thinking means asking ourselves the question, what am I placing my hope in? 
And then how is that related to how I'm feeling? Because in Philippians 4, rejoicing leads to reasonableness. Here's the second thing for us to think about our thinking. And that is that grateful prayers lead to peace. Now, we've already covered the subject of praying in week four, so I don't want to go back and spend a lot of time there re-emphasizing the need to pray. We already talked about that, what it means to humble ourselves and how it's connected to casting all of our cares. But rather, what I want to emphasize here is its connection to gratitude. He says, verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So there's this this prayer and supplication, prayer is sort of the general prayer, supplication are, is a specific, are the specific ones. And he says we're to take these prayers and supplications with thanksgiving, we're to let our requests be made known to God. So these grateful prayers then lead somewhere. He says then in verse seven, and the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the idea is that we take our prayers and our supplications and we add thanksgiving to them and that they have a fortifying effect in regards to our understanding of peace, God's peace. Why is this helpful? Here's why. Because when you add gratefulness to your prayers, it helps you to see life more clearly. Listen, fear and anxiety tempt us to become very narrow-minded in what we see such that we end up being dominated in terms of what we talk about or what we focus upon or what we think about in regards to the things that seem to be missing that are creating the fear. For instance, I have a bit of a bad habit that when my wife asks me, how was your day? I come home, how's your day, honey? What's top of mind for me to share with her is not all of the good things that have happened, to rehearse all of the ways that I had an amazing day, but rather my tendency, and I'm sure many of you relate, is the tendency to talk about the things that are troubling to me because I don't need to talk to my wife about the things that have gone well. I need to talk to her about the things that are a burden. And the challenge then is the thing that we can talk about all the time are all the negative things. And then sometimes it gets even worse when I'm struggling with fear over something and I'm just about over it and then I share it with Sarah and it makes her afraid, guess what? There's a boomerang effect and I was just about over it but now I'm afraid again because she's afraid and her fear made me even more fearful. So how does Thanksgiving help? Well, prayers of gratitude remind us how faithful God has been in the past. It sets the present troubles on the table of God's kindness, and in so doing, it gives us perspective. It's interesting here that Paul, after identifying, praying, and supplicating with thanksgiving, he then says this will guard your hearts and minds, namely the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. And he even says that this peace, which surpasses all understanding, just kind of blows your mind. And what Paul is suggesting here is that grateful praying is able to build up the fortification of peace in the context of our souls. That when we are grateful and thankful and are rehearsing God's faithfulness as we are thinking about and pulling our memory into our prayer life, we're reminded about God's faithfulness and his power and his care 
And church, that's why one of the reasons Sundays are so important, why your time in the word is so critical. And for some of you, an action point from this very sermon would be that at the end of it, you need to take out a piece of paper or your phone or share with someone in your home all the things that you're thankful for because this last week, you have been in a gratitude deficit. To be honest, what you've done is you spent a lot of time thinking about all the misses, all the gaps, all the things that you don't have. You, you, you've spent all sorts of time filling your mind with things that are out in our culture and you see all the problems and I get it, I'm there with you in trying to understand what is going on and if we're not careful, we could saturate our minds and our hearts and our conversations can be all about the things that we think don't have good grace in them and we've missed the way in which God has been so kind to us, which is why Paul says in your praying and in your supplications with thanksgiving tell God about your needs and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus not every anxiety and not every fear is directly related to our prayer life but there are some fears and some anxieties that are directly connected to how much time we spend considering what we don't have in contrast to rejoicing in what God has provided. So grateful prayers lead to peace. Here's the third point. Meditation, what we think about, the right things, can lead to assurance. The third way that Anxiety and our thinking can combine, positively or negatively, is just to simply evaluate the things that we're thinking about. Church, in the middle of this sort of COVID season that we're in, I trust that you are sensing what I'm sensing, and that is that we have a lot more time on our hands, not in relationship with other people, and as a result, even statistically, I did some research on this, our consumption of news and information, our consumption of even social media has just skyrocketed. And along with that, combined with the cultural difficulties, has been a dramatic increase in anxiety. Do you feel it? It's important to ask ourselves, what we are feeding our minds and how what we are saturating our minds and our hearts with, how that is related to our fears. Brett McCracken, in an article about how to think about content, says this. Do you remember the old food pyramid that shows how a healthy body depends on a balanced diet? with the right proportion of food groups and nutrition versus junk foods. He says this, in our current epistemological crisis, in other words, how we think about our thinking, that's what that word epistemology means, where we are bombarded by a glut of content and information but have so little wisdom, I think we need guidance on healthier habits of knowledge intake. We need a wisdom pyramid. We need to think about what sorts of knowledge groups or in what proportion should we feed a life of true wisdom and true joy. And he illustrates that wisdom pyramid this way. The Bible is the foundation. The local church gathering together and 
It's part of the challenge of this season is the inability for the church in relationship to gather nature and beauty, books, and then internet, and then social media. What he's arguing here for is that at the very foundation is the most important information, not in terms of new things for you to learn, although that may be true, but rather the kind of things that are helpful for your soul as a Christian. And then he identifies the other things that are incredibly impactful. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is this pyramid in our lives appropriately balanced? Or is it perhaps even inverted? Or to put it bluntly, if you were to take the amount of time that you've ingested the information within our culture, maybe even social media and other things in your sort of information gathering, and you compare that with the things that you've done to feed the soul, what would the balance be? You see, for some of us, the challenge is not just that we struggle with worry, but that we struggle with feeding the very worry that we want to get out of. The issue is not just where you get your information, but the issue is what information informs your thinking, informs your feelings, informs your thinking. The, the, we see here in this text, in verse 8, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these or think about these things. That word think doesn't just mean to, to mentally ruminate about them or to put them in your mind and heart, but that word means to think about them so that it affects your conduct. And that's the problem is the things related to that wisdom pyramid are not just things that go into your mind, but they affect what you feel, they affect what you say. And depending upon who you're listening to or what you're listening to, you begin to take on the behaviors of the people that you're learning from, both positively and negatively. And that's why Paul, in Philippians 4, gives a list of things that should characterize the matters that we think about or the content that we're digesting. In particular, he has in mind things that are debatable or questionable and how do you make those decisions? And so he gives a list. He says whatever things are true, and this means in terms of the ethical sense, what is right and what is wrong. What's ever honorable, something that's worthy of respect and admiration, that which is just, it, it fits with the justice of God. That which is pure, a connection to what is holy. That which is lovely, it creates admiration and awe and even love. That which is commendable, something that you could recommend to somebody else. That which is excellent, something that is superior in terms of its moral quality. And something that finally is worthy of praise. It means not just something that can be recognized as worthwhile, but something actually that creates a platform that you could say, God, I thank you for this. I thank you for this book. I thank you for this song. I thank you for this social media post. <laughs> These are the things, Paul says, that should be thought about. These are the things that our minds and our hearts should meditate on. But even more, these are the things that we should put into practice and then to do. We should see them 
as the things that need to inform our thinking, but also as the things emulated in the lives of other people. In other words, one of the ways to think about this list is just to ask yourself, regarding someone whose walk with Jesus that you respect, if so-and-so was in this situation, what would they say? Or what would they do? Or how would they respond? What Paul is trying to do here is to help connect the thinking part of us to the doing part of us, which is why in verse nine he says, what you have learned and received and heard and see in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you? Church, this is more than just a promise. It means that as we think rightly, and as we are the, the, the kind of people who see the content of the word and we feel the assurance of this promise, as we see it emulated in the lives of other people, here is the assurance that comes because we've been meditating on the right things, that there's a direct relationship between what you think and what you believe. It means investing in our minds with the timeless truth of God's word and considering his ways. So if I could just be really honest, sometimes problems with anxiety and worry, not all of them, but sometimes the problems with anxiety and worry are byproducts of the simple fact that we're saturating our mind and our heart with either the wrong sources or the wrong kinds of people. You may need to take a break from particular information sources, even if those information sources are not bad in and of themselves. You may need to create some distance between you and an unhelpful friend who's just not in a really good place right now, and you can care for them, but you gotta be careful because how they're thinking and what they're believing is beginning to have a, a negative effect on your own soul. You may need to decide if you're in a good enough place right now to talk about certain subjects, to be able to be wise and discerning about where the Lord has you right now. Some of you may need to consider committing more verses of scripture to memory so that you've got the word in your soul. It's not as simple as just you memorize a verse and then all your fear goes away. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that for some of us, we spend so much time thinking about what other people are doing and watching their lives and seeing what's going on in the world, and we've not spent time meditating and marinating in the inspired text of God's word. It may be that you need to read a book that encourages your soul. Sometimes when I'm doing research on really dark subjects or difficult issues, I have to take a break for a little while because it's endless in terms of what needs to be learned and the levels of brokenness. And sometimes I just have to take a step back and say, I need something that just ministers grace to my heart. Or maybe you need to reach out to an encouraging friend and just know that you could pray with them or listen to a helpful sermon. See, the point is, is that this kind of meditation leads to the assurance that the God of peace will be with you. And as you battle anxiety and worry and fear, you need to discover what are the things that help me to think correctly about myself, 
about my God and my world. It may be that you're watching today and you're not yet a Christian. And one of the things that this whole season is creating for you is a lot of really, really important questions. And friend, I'd encourage you to reach out to another Christian and ask them, help me understand the connection between what the Bible says and how you live. And this person will tell you their story of how they came to faith in Christ and how that forgiveness in Jesus becomes the foundation for their thinking, for their feeling, and for their acting. Fear and anxiety and worry are not tame, but they're not ultimate either. Anxiety can be battled in the arena of the mind by rejoicing in the Lord, by offering grateful prayers and meditating on biblical truth. It can be battled by simply asking ourselves, what should I think about right now? And you know, as we conclude this series, I wish I could tell you that the future is going to be less worrisome, but I can't. I wish I could assure you that the worst of what we've seen in our culture is behind us, but I can't. But what I can tell you is that in the midst of a broken world, we have a God who invites us through the personal work of Christ to ask ourselves, Mark, who's in control of your life? Mark, what is fear and why are you allowing it to dominate you? Mark, what do you need to believe? Mark, how should you pray? And Mark, what should you be thinking about? We need to personalize those questions and to be reminded that at the end of the day, God is worthy of our trust as we're walking through uncertain days. And so church, I wanna leave you with the verse that I challenged you to memorize that could shape your mind and heart, your emotions, and could help you just take one step in the right direction. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Fear not. Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that in your grace you've provided to us the word of God, helpful friends, the body of Christ, and all sorts of resources that are helpful or can be helpful to our souls. And so help us with our thinking because at times, Lord, we do not know how to think and we need your grace to minister to us in meaningful and consistent and powerful ways. So use even today to that end, we pray in Christ's name, amen.